it's my lifestyle, it's my lifestyle. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Grounds Crew, a podcast covering all things baseball. We're brought to you by Baseball Lifestyle. All by myself. Now it's recording, boom, so that's boom, a perfect boom. start. All by myself. Boom, 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 boom. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Grounds Crew. We have a very special episode today because I am solo. Uh, Gerson's out there filming some content, doing some amazing things that you guys will get to hear about and see soon. Uh, so we're going to jump into some things. Very first thing for me today that I have to bring up before anything else. Yesterday, the 2020 class for the uh, MLB Hall of Fame, uh, having the Baseball Hall of Fame pulled together and Derek Jeter. Uh, being inducted. And I have a lot of thoughts on Derek Jeter. And uh, I get in an argument with a lot of different people because I can see Derek Jeter for what I think he is. And Derek Jeter, to me, is one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the game. He should have been 100% unanimous selection. The one guy that he chirped with one of the most incredible chirps in a speech ever. Uh, one writer decided not to vote for him so that he wouldn't be unanimous because he didn't think he deserved to be unanimous. Um, but he knew he deserved to be in the hall. That makes no sense. That's idiocy. That's in- crazy. Um, but what I will say about Derek Jeter is when he's compared to other shortstops, you always see his batting numbers, right? And I think that the challenge that I have with baseball in general is we should just compare how guys hit and we should give a framework that we batch guys together. If you want to tell me that a first baseman and a right and left fielder and maybe a third baseman are all batched together, cool. If you then want to tell me that a shortstop, a second baseman, and a center fielder, they're all batched together. Cool. If you were to do that and you were to take into account second basemen and, and, and center fielders, Jeter's numbers as a, as a hitter are still really, really good. But he's not like, oh my God, he's, he's such a god at shortstop. Because the reality is, even though I think that Jeter's top five player, to me, because of what he did on the field, right? The flip play where he ran up the first baseline. And he backhands it, and, they, and, and that saves that game. That's an amazing baseball play that has nothing to do with your position. That wasn't a shortstop play. No shortstop's supposed to be there for that play. He saw it, right? Him running into the stands and, and catching the ball, and you know what? He said in an interview, he's like, I would have stopped if I could have. But the bigger thing is that he, he didn't slow down. So, yeah, he might have stopped if he could have, but he knew it was coming, and his biggest thing was, i got to catch the ball first, I'll try to stop second. If I can't stop, I'm going to wreck myself. And he did. Those plays have nothing to do with being a great shortstop. They have everything to do with being an amazing baseball player and putting it all together on a field. His jump throw. His jump throw he mostly did later in his career because his arm strength was low. Couldn't make that throw. Couldn't do some of that stuff. But when you put it all together, he's an amazing baseball player. Defensively. He's one of the worst shortstops that played in the game during his era. You can never at any time tell me he was the best shortstop ever. Now, he won Gold Glove Awards, but he didn't deserve Gold Glove Awards. It was because his hitting was so great. He was the best defender who also hit the best. That doesn't mean that I'm a guy who should be in that position. Overall, Derek Jeter deserves to be a unanimous player, unanimous selection. He deserves to be first ballot. 
He is one of the greatest players of his generation. We just got to separate the fact that he wasn't an elite shortstop. Never was. Never will be. The stats historically are always going to say he was bad, but it doesn't change the fact that he's an amazing player and deserved every Hall of Fame vote. Now, Yankees fans, they get emotional. Well, he did all this. He he did that. We won all these games. He has five World Series ranks. He's got all this stuff. Like, of, of course he was the best shortstop. Well, late in his career, every player, every every Yankee fan would say, oh, Derek Jeter's still elite. He's still elite. He's still elite. Then they got Didi Gregorius, and they were like, Didi's the best. He's amazing. And, and Didi was a, an average shortstop. And that's by the fact that when they let him go, they they let him go and he signed for relatively cheap. He's a really, really solid MLB player. But he was never a god. But Yankees fans have gotten so used to lying to themselves about Jeter as a player at the end of his career that seeing Didi made you think that he was a superstar, right? And that's more the point that we create this idea in our heads. And this goes into something that Dennis, who's sitting over here shaking his head because he agrees with me on a lot of stuff. Baseball Lifestyle, we put out a poll on the Instagram account the other day, and it was, who would you rather have for their whole career? Mike Trout or Albert Pujols? And you guys, if you listen to the show on an everyday basis, you know that Albert Pujols' numbers destroy uh, Mike Trout's numbers for their first 10 years in their career. Uh, Mike Trout can't hold Pujols' jock. Um, Pujols won. He went to World Series. He he was a guy who impacted games. That's never been Trout. Trout's put up numbers and they didn't matter. And his numbers, if you compare them to other great players, I mean, I, I've never actually done the comparison. Was he better than Alex Rodriguez in Alex Rodriguez's first 10 years? Because I'd, I'd have a hard time saying that he was. And Alex was playing shortstop. And typically you would expect that guy to hit a little lighter, right? Um, but this goes back to just we create a recency bias or how close we are to how good a player actually is. And I agree, our baseball gets harder the longer time goes on. There's real things that have changed, right? Even when Derek was playing in the league, you didn't have 20, 30 different guys in bullpens around the league who threw 99 plus, right? Now in the league, you're talking, you got maybe got 50 dudes in bullpens who throw 100 miles an hour and have nasty sliders. The game has gotten so much more difficult. People are playing matchups. They know that a guy comes up and he can't do X or Y, so they bring in a reliever who can do X and Y. The analytical game was not to the point that it was in the 90s that it is now. So when you're comparing a dude today, yeah, he's dealing with circumstances that those those guys didn't have. But you also, when you have some crossover, you have to give props that there's not that much of a difference. And the reality is that Pujols is still playing, and he is a shadow of his former self. But the game that him and Trout played simultaneously, Trout had to wait for him to get bad for him to become the best player because Pujols was that guy. And Pujols was that guy for the Angels. That's why they signed him. They thought they were bringing in the best player in all of baseball. What happens if Albert Pujols, his his 30s, what if Albert Pujols' 30s were like Barry Bonds' 30s? Could you imagine like, and I don't think people know because 70% of the people who voted in our poll said they'd rather take Trout. And Trout's not as good. 
And if you had seen a regression that was more similar to what Barry Bonds did in his 30s, late 30s and 40s, you're talking we'd be we'd be having the conversation of is Albert Pujols the greatest player of all time? He would have the home run record by now. He did everything better than everybody else for over a decade, by far. And we've now forgotten it because people are seeing what he's doing now and they think that's who he always was. And they're seeing Trout and what he's doing now and they're projecting what they think he should be doing. The reality is Trout hasn't played all year. He's a great player, but a calf injury has rocked him and put him down on the floor. The game is worse for it. But when we're starting to talk about who are the greatest of all time, we very often get caught in our feels, right? Derek Jeter hits a lot of people in the feels. I get it. I have no feels. He's still one of the greatest players that ever existed. But you can't neglect the fact that as a shortstop, he was not an elite player. Staying in New York, Jacob deGrom comes out. Team says... Yeah, you know what? He actually had a partial tear of his UCL. But it's all healed now. Everything's good. He's good to go. Well, going back not too recent, we were getting told that there was no structural damage. There was nothing wrong. How did we go from no structural damage to this man had a minor tear of his UCL? Guys, the the, the Mets need a changeover in honesty. The Mets' biggest problem is they're not honest with the fans. And it doesn't seem like they're honest with each other. And the downside of that is, is that it creates rot in the organization. And I say to a lot of people, I'd rather tell you something uncomfortable today that's small than wait until it's a big thing and you find about it then. The Mets historically continue to underplay their problems until they can't. And then they have to tell you the truth. And then you find out that they've been hiding this big secret this entire time, right? This goes back to Cespedes busting his ankle, David Wright having stenosis in his neck and never being the same player. All of the things that they put out there because they don't want the, the public to know what's happening. Well, guys, just be honest. And be honest with yourselves. This means that the Mets knew at the All-Star break that this elbow was like this. And my question to you is, if you had been open and honest, would you have gone out and got Javi Baez? I don't know. Now, Javi's had down moments. He's had up moments. I'll say again, the strikeouts and everything are infuriating, but the thing that Javi Baez has been doing that I, I didn't get to see him enough as a, as a Chicago Cub is his base running and his feel for the game are unnaturally good. He sees the, the play unfolding different than everybody else. Since he's been a Met, I've seen him steal home and slide outside of where the catcher could get him and make an amazing play. I saw him supposed to get picked off at second base and completely contort his body and make it on the base with no problem. I saw a bobble happen between Lindor and Villar at second base and Soto advancing to third and Baez pick it up and see a streaking Marcus Stroman and lead past Stroman directly into a perfect tag out. Players don't do this. Baez is great in the field. But would you have gone and given up Pete Crow Armstrong, whatever he's going to be? Would you have taken on the salary, taken on the stuff, changed the dynamic of the team if you had been open and honest and said, hey, 
we might be shutting down DeGrom for the year because he's got a partial tear of his UCL. Or are the Mets just so scared of having a bad headline that they continue to make bad business decisions? I thought that this was going to be done with a change in the owner. It hasn't. But I think it's going to happen in the offseason. He hates this. He's been very open and public about a lot of things. I think he's giving himself, and he wanted to give himself a year to allow himself to acclimate because he knew he didn't know what he didn't know. But the Mets owner's a smart dude, and he's made billions of dollars in multiple categories in life because he's a smart dude. He can see what's happening. This There's going to be a massive turnover by the Mets organization in the offseason, and I don't know if even the players that we're seeing on the field are going to be the same players. Now Lindor, Lindor is going to be there. Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso is going to be there. DeGrom, DeGrom's going to be there. I can't tell you any other player on the team that I think might be there next year. And that's a challenge. That's going to be a massive turnover for a team that was expected to be this or that. Nope. It's time to gut the system. That means I think Conforto's gone. That means that there might be a trade of a guy like Dom Smith. I could see maybe Nimmo staying. I think they like Nimmo, and Nimmo's cheap enough for him to go somewhere, but they need to find a more permanent solution in center defensively. Baez, I don't know if you're going to keep him after what he said about the fans, even if he's playing incredibly. Depends what he's going to ask for. Jeff McNeil is slumped down. He's getting closer to 30. He's still got a few years of arbitration left. He's a really good player, but do you need to gut the whole thing? Do you? And this comes back to Mets fans not being able to trust the ownership of what they're doing. And I don't think that Steve Cohen's going to be able to continue to do this. He has to change it. He has to rock something. He has to do something different. Because if he doesn't, the Mets are going to sit in this, this, this hell of mediocrity all the time. And we're going to be okay with it because they're going to show flashes of greatness because there's guys on the team who have greatness in them. However, we need a culture shift. Manager, got to be gone. I'm done with Rojas. He's not the answer. He's not the dude. The buttons he presses, the things he does, whatever you want to say, he's not the guy. He was choice X from A to Z. They've tried to sell us that it was the right option. They wanted to give him time. The reality is, is that Cohen wanted a year to assess the organization so that he was making an informed decision. He brought in Elderson because he wanted to show the other owners that he could be babysat for a little while, that he wasn't just going to come in and buy his way to titles. He gave everybody a one-year gap. He's buying titles moving forward. I could see him making a crazy offer for uh, Dennis. I'm blanking on the name now, and I need you to bail me out on this. Nick Castellanos? So not player, GM. Uh, Oh, uh, Theo Epstein? Theo Epstein. I'm like David Epstein, author of the book Range. Um, Theo Epstein. Uh, I I could see him making a huge offer for Theo, who needed to bail out of Chicago. Theo has brought the the Red Sox to title contention. Then he brought the Cubs to title. He walked away from the Cubs, and the Cubs disintegrated and fell apart. I, I would love to see them spend. Dude, give Theo whatever you want. I don't think he cares. Yeah, go go crazy, Theo. You want you want twelve point five million dollars a year to come and reorganize this entire system? Come take over Alderson's role. Come take over a role with Alderson. But let's move Alderson out of making the decisions anymore. Because at this point. He's proven that he is not a great judge of character. Mickey Calloway, two GMs now. We're having problems here with character. 
We we you, we were going to bring in Beltron to to manage this team. We have a character issue in the Mets organization that needs to be cleaned up, cleared out. Gut the whole thing, tear it to the ground, bring in competency, and then go crazy. I I anticipate the Mets being the biggest spenders by far in free agency. Like if your favorite if your favorite player on your team is available, he might be a Met. So like good luck. If you have a superstar player on your team and he's going to make less than $30 million, like I see three $30 million players potentially signing with the Mets on top of what DeGrom and Lindor already are. So they're going to have a $240 million set. They're going for the title. So be prepared for that if you guys are interested in, in, in baseball in 2022. And they might lose DeGrom all season if the uh, UCL injury gets worse. So the rumor is it's it's healed. The reality is you look at a guy like uh, Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka pitched for the torn UCL his entire time as a Yankee. Mm-hmm. A UCL tear does not necessarily mean that you can't throw with it, right? The reality is uh, Cy Young Award winner, all-time Met great story, R.A. Dickey had no UCL. It never existed in his body. Well, he was drafted in the first round throwing Ched. Then when they saw he had no UCL, they panicked. He, yes, he, he lost velocity a lot faster than other people, and it impacted some other stuff, but he learned another pitch and became dominant in a different way. Um, Jacob DeGrom's probably going to be fine. The reality is, is that looking at a 70 and 70 team, as much as I would love to have Jacob come back, I think the Mets should, should shut him down for the year, let him go get his PRP shot, let him get that in his elbow, increase the healing, start doing his strengthening, and then come out next year and shoot the shot. Because he doesn't have much left on his contract. This was year two of the big contract, I believe. And if this is year two of the big contract, he's got three years left. So at the end of the day, he's the cheapest superstar ace in history. I'm good with it. Shut him down. Bring him back next year. We're, we're what, 22 games out from the end of the season for the Mets? Uh, if there's 70 and 70, yeah, Mets checks out. So the, the season's over, guys, right? It, it's done. He's going to make, what, four, maybe five starts if he was able to come back immediately and he's going to have to gear himself back up and it's going to be two or three weeks, I'd shut DeGrom down and move on. And I think that's really what the season for the Mets is looking like. Unless they go on a tear, this is going to end up being a team that finishes around 500, maybe slightly above, misses out, and everybody's talking about what if. But I'm happy that they're going to miss because it gives Cohen the arsenal to tear that thing down and move on. Moving to a team that has crushed it in terms of putting together talent, resetting, reloading, finding a way, San Francisco. San Francisco Giants, the first team to get to 90 victories on the season. And we keep waiting for the drop-off, and it just doesn't happen. They're neck and neck with the Dodgers. I have to anticipate the Dodgers are still going to be the team to beat by the time we get to the end. But this is the feel-good story of all feel-good stories, is that they're sitting at 90 wins. 90 wins, and they're two games up on the Dodgers. The Padres, the Padres got to be feeling very similar to how the Mets are feeling right now, right? Very similar. But we talked about this, and I was wrong on some things. I was right on other things when we talked with, uh, when we talked with Hunter Hunter Pence. Pence. Hunter, I said to Hunter, uh, the Padres to me are no different than the Mets. I look at the offense, I look at the lineup, you could tell me all day that the Padres have this amazing everything. If you really can go back in time, Jacob DeGrom doesn't miss any time this year. They got the same record. I would tell you the Mets got at least four more victories. 
You're telling me if the Mets were running out Jacob DeGrom instead of a bunch of relievers or back-end starting rotation guys, you think the Mets wouldn't have more wins? Of course they would. That would also put less pressure on Stroman, less pressure on Walker, less pressure on the entire staff. The Mets would have more victories. And it's 74 wins for the Padres, failure of a season. Massive failure, especially when you consider that you felt like you were better than the Giants. All the Giants have done is had a season that is unprecedented. You have a bunch of aging veteran players who know how to play the game. They're those veterans that you want on your team. If your team is going to be a, a little bit above 500, it's got a bunch of young guys. You, you get a few of these pieces of players who are you know in their early 30s, 32, 33, 34, 35, and they have professional at-bats every day. They, they play really well. They're an everyday starter, and everything's great. They flip that up on its head, though. Every player is closing in on one of their best seasons of their entire career at the same time. Chris Bryant, Dennis, if you could look it up for me, what Chris Bryant's stats since the since he got traded to San Francisco, right? Chris Bryant is a great everyday player. He's the player that I really wanted the Mets to go after. I was happy when it finally ended up being Baez. But when I looked at Chris Bryant, I didn't see where he fit with a team like the Mets. But when the when the Giants made that trade, it seemed like, hey, this is a token trade. We're the only team that didn't do anything. The Dodgers brought in all this stuff. The Padres make moves. We're just going to bring in Chris Bryant. It's going to be an afterthought. And then Chris Bryant comes over. What's our stats? Uh, batting average, 265. His OPS is 815. He's got six home runs, 14 RBIs. So you bring in a guy who's an 800-plus OPS dude who plays multiple positions. He can play a little third. He can play a little bit in the outfield. If you needed to him in a pinch, he can play shortstop. But he brings that veteran presence. And you have this same thing all over again. You bring in a guy who just fits the motif. You fit. You bring in a guy who fits the culture. He's a great guy. He's a great teammate. He knows how to win. He's been to the promised land, and all he does is show up and every day be professional. I'm the same dude every day. And they've professionaled their way into this season, and they're going to walk in potentially with the one seed in the NL. And I I don't think, I have to think, it won't hold up in a playoff environment because I don't know if they're built for the playoffs. They, they definitely are built for the, the regular season. I don't see how anybody beats the Dodgers in a five- or a seven-game series because their staff is just so deep and their guys are going to be giving you everything they have. And this looks this is the this San Francisco Giants team to to again use use my New York Knicks as the example. This looks like the Knicks. A team who's giving a hundred percent in the regular season and is gonna give a hundred percent in the playoffs. But they're playing against some teams who are willing to only play at 90% in the regular season to save it for 100% when they get to the postseason. And the other team's 100% is just better than their 100%. And it's going to be that they're going to play someone who's better than them. And we're just going to have to wait and see. Speaking of the NL, because I'm staying with my NL theme right here, I have a dark horse MVP candidate. And a lot of people are talking about is Harper the MVP. I think he absolutely could be. He's having one of his best seasons. They found themselves in 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 the hunt for a playoff spot. Fernando Tatis, big name, big everything. But Tatis, even though his numbers are great, he missed a whole bunch of time with the arm in the beginning part of the year. His stats are incredible. But the team's not winning. Trey Turner. 
Trey Turner's been in the National League for the entirety of the, this, this whole season. He has been a National League player the entire year. So for NL MVP, you don't have to split up his stats and say that his stats in one league don't count in the other, so he can't win. All he did was switch teams. He did not switch leagues. And when you do that and you pull up a guy like Trey Turner, Trey Turner on the year, right this second, has a 320 batting average and an 876 OPS playing shortstop and second base. Trey Turner is is going to be an elite player in the postseason. He's batting high in one of the best teams in the league's lineups. He has been a stud all year. Could Trey Turner get some MVP votes? I think he should. His numbers have gone down since being on the Dodgers, though. For sure, but that's still him hitting 320. 311 since joining the Dodgers, which is still very good. But so, so again, put that in perspective. So he's got a near 900 OPS. The two other guys we're talking about are definitely bigger power hitters, right? But Trey Turner has already made an impact on the Dodgers team in, again, winning situations. We talk about Mookie Betts versus a guy like Mike Trout. Mookie is playing a game to win games. He's going to sacrifice stats to get W's on the board. A guy like Tatis at this point, dude, there's no pressure. You're not winning your division. There's no hope. There's no chance. You're not finishing second in your own division. There is no hope. There is no chance. So your statistics, your pressure are are lower. I think I think Tatis is batting 278 right now. My stats guru. I'm looking it up. Pretty sure he's batting 278 on the season. You got you got Bryce Harper's batting 303 on the season. So both guys. 278 on the season. Both guys are worse batting average wise. Right? Now on base percentage, what is uh Tatis on base percentage? Uh on base percentage is 366. So his on base percentage is 366. What is uh do we have Trey Turner's on base percentage? Trey Turner is three fifty four. Right? So we're comparable there. The guy who's above both of them is Bryce. Bryce is sitting at a 417 on base percentage, right? I'm pulling up Bryce's numbers now. Because Bryce is having an on base season that's similar to what he almost always does. <laughs> the biggest difference has been he's actually hit the ball. It's been years. Yeah, he's uh, 417 on base percentage. His uh, OPS is stupid. Over 1,000. Yeah. So this is, this is the second best year in Bryce's entire life. The last time he played like this was when he was a 21, 22-year-old kid. And at that time, he hit the ball like this. He had another season, 2017. I think he, batted, he, he was batting like 315, 320. That player was a great player. But since then, he's been a 250, 260 batting average guy for the last few years. Really solid player, but not an elite player. This year, Bryce Harper has re-entered the elite player conversation. My question always is, is the same question that I give to every Yankee player. Every player in the, the, the AL East in general, you play in a small park for half your games that you easily pop home run. You can accidentally touch the ball and, say, and, and put it out. How much of the increase in those numbers, the power numbers, the other things, happened because he hit a few more over? I actually have seen Bryce play. I think he's playing better than he's ever played. He's putting it all together. And for a guy who came up so young, he's still only 28. 
and he has so much more that's supposed to be left in his game. I hope this is the Bryce of the future because I think Bryce Harper's a better player than a guy like Aaron Judge. But Aaron Judge has shown up. Now, I think he plays in the easiest park in the world to play in, and that helps Judge be a better player. But Harper hasn't been much different. But I'm happy to see him. But for me, I think the fact that Trey Turner is not even involved in the NL MVP conversation is insanity. Because all he's done has been a top-of-the-order hitter, crush the ball, come to a playoff team, continue to be a, an above 300 player, above 300 batting average guy with an 800-plus OPS, playing an off position from what he normally plays. He's a shortstop playing second base right now. He's sacrificing to go win championships. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think that that team has a shot of being beaten in the postseason. It's because they have guys like that. Absolute units. Speaking of absolute units, Shohei Otani. Guys, I have some some crazy stats that I absolutely love about Shohei Otani. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this show. The stat that to me is now crazy is of all DHs in the history of baseball, this season is the fourth best season by a DH in history in terms of home runs. Shohei Otani is the fourth best DH in history. And he is six home runs away from tying David Ortiz's best season as a DH. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. While also at the same time being 9-1 with a sub-3 ERA. Dennis is is not believing that that's actually true. I, I didn't realize that. He had a nine and one record. I knew his ERA was great, but I didn't realize he had a nine and one record on the Los Angeles Angels. He's the number one pitcher for the Angels, guys. This is why I'm so upset, and this is why my least favorite player in the league is now Mike Trout. Because if Trout was even remotely himself this year, that team has a shot at going to the playoffs. So he had everything he's ever wanted. Have the opportunity. Have an ace pitcher on his team. He's got it all. And he's missing out on that season. But Otani is six home runs away from tying David Ortiz. My question is, with only 20 games left, roughly, can he do it? Can he go on a tear? Can Otani break another crazy record and become this super nuts rendition of what an MLB guy is supposed to be? Guys, he's already stolen over 20 bases. He's at 23 stolen bases on the year. What DH steals 23 bases? No one. Guys, he's got a a 964 OPS, and he's hit 43 total home runs. Two of his home runs were not as a DH. They were as an outfielder. Only two. But he's got 43 home runs. If he breaks the record by Ortiz, he's also going to get close to 50 home runs. I know everybody here who watches the show regularly and those who are coming here for the first time, we appreciate you. And if you are watching for the first time and this is your first Otani watch, like and subscribe below. We really appreciate the likes. We appreciate the shares. We appreciate the fans, especially those of you guys out there sending emails. I'm getting them. Love you too. Otani's numbers just continue to dazzle. And he's doing it with barely any protection in the lineup. Walsh missed time. Rendon's been out. Trout's been out. This I don't even think is fully unlocked. Shohei Otani. He's also leading the league in intentional walks. Guys, 
He's got 70 walks this year. 70. And people are just afraid of him. Why, why, why would I throw to him? If you took away the walks, if people started to actually have to pitch to him, which is my protection point, you're only able to intentionally walk him is because you're not f- afraid of guys behind him anymore. Because Trout and Rendon are not there. They haven't been there for most of his season. If they had been, guys, we'd be talking potentially this guy hit 60 home runs. He, he'd have 12 wins. We'd be talking about the Angels going to the postseason, and are they going to be a threat? Shohei Otani is that X factor that nobody could have ever anticipated. And it's been one of the most fun things for us as a, as a group that, you know, way back in January and February, we told you guys that Otani was potentially going to have the greatest season in MLB history. He came out and he produced for us. He put the grounds crew on the map, made us one of the top 1% of baseball podcasts in the world, thanks to the Shohei Otani watch. My question is, who's the next Otani? Does he exist? Hunter Green. Hunter Green is a guy who drafted first overall, throws 100 miles an hour, can hit, could do stuff. He had that potential. He's gotten hurt a few times, though. But he was a guy who maybe was a chance of doing it. My big question is, this should open up that if there's one player like Otani out there, there is more. There are guys who can do this. There are people who can put up the season. But we also need to push aside our preconceived notion of who guys are, who they're going to be, what's happening. you got to use context when you look at a player. How did we think that Shohei Otani was going to be this guy this year? How did we get out in front of ESPN writers, ESPN authors, Baseball America, The Athletic? Why were we before every one of those, those companies? Why were we before any other media source that you could go to? on Shohei Otani. Why were we first? Because we were able to look back and we were able to push aside what we saw. And we were able to look at the deeper numbers. Otani, as a rookie, coming to America the first time, had a 925 OPS. He's sitting at a 964 now. Why are we shocked that a guy who is is three years older is better? We shouldn't be. Why will we be shocked that he gets better next year when he has Trout, Rendon, Walsh, a healthy team? And maybe they'll invest in a starting pitcher for them. Maybe they'll actually try to go for this team making the postseason for the first time in a while. Maybe we'll get to see a fully unlocked Shohei Otani. Supported by what everyone thinks is the best player in the game. That would truly be fun to watch. But I am looking forward to... The next guy. Who is the person who's going to rock baseball? Because it happens every year. We have a new person that nobody expected. Lance Lynn this year is crushing it as a pitcher. Nobody expected. There's always going to be these amazing stories. Otani is just this year's one. And it's been an amazing one. And it's been a fun ride. And I look forward to its conclusion. But I'm sad. And I'm sad because if we had Mike Trout, if we had Rendon, We'd get to continue this story in a postseason where we'd get to see some things that we've never seen before. A guy pitch and hit and crush a home run and strike out dudes in the playoffs. It's great he's doing it in the regular season, but he deserved to get to do it in the postseason. And my hope is next year is the year that it all comes together for the Angels. Because if it doesn't, That whole team's getting broken up, and we're never going to see this unit together ever again. 
Dennis, man, thanks for being my homie and riding out with me today in the solo the solo session. No worries. I enjoy listening to you talk. Guys, I talk a lot. I appreciate you guys coming and listening to the, the solo version of the Grounds Crew podcast today. Again, please like and subscribe. Your guys' participation on our YouTube channel, you guys following us, listening, downloading, uh, wherever you listen to our podcast, but wherever you really watch our show, because I feel like the visual of our show is truly where you get the full experience of what this podcast is. So if you've been only listening, please go check us out on YouTube, look us up, see some of the things that we're doing on there so you can see some of the visuals that we encapture with with what this program is. And uh, I really appreciate you guys listening today. I look forward to having my my co-host back uh, and getting ready and prepped for what's going to be our postseason editions coming up and who we think is going to win it all. So thank you guys again. Appreciate you coming out and listening today. And I'll see you next time on the Ground Screw Podcast. Bye. Baseball lifestyle. It's my lifestyle.